Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15, almost warp online at sunburymotors.com. Ford Kia Hyundai, best in new inventory, great pre owned inventory with the Sunbury Motors guarantee. It's all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf online at sunburymotors.com. All right, Jim Jackson in a moment. By the way, James Franklin coming up uh, between 6.05 and 7 tonight, Penn State Coaches Show. He'll join me at the field at Top Trees for that Bob Rashusen on the show tomorrow. We'll talk about Penn State, Illinois, and we'll also ask him about the Jets. I think it's the only nice thing to do. All right, our play-by-play call today. How about a little NBA opening night action? Finds Fournier. He's open. Fake the three. Now one from straight on. Knocks it down. Got his man in the air. And Fournier, huge in his Knicks debut. The Knicks leading 136-134. They're dancing in the streets of New York over that one. It was the opener. All right. Um, Ben Simmons, by the way. I feel a twinge in my back. There's going to be a lot of twinges until he's dealt. <laughs> oh, my almighty! It's like, what are you doing? Uh, all right, Jim Jackson joins us. Jim, welcome. Such a pleasure to have you back. Great to be back. All right, so uh, beat the expansion team, then they beat the Bruins. <laughs> okay. Uh, so how do you say, you know, it's only two games in into this thing, but you know, what's your thought process and what we're seeing to this point? You know, obviously Vancouver, too, is the shootout. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing some good and, and some bad. I mean, I, I don't want to get too caught up in the win last night because if, if you think about last year, um, the team actually won quite a few games early in the year, like last night where they were outchanced and outshot. And, uh, you know, we, were, we kept saying, oh, you know, they're winning, but they got to play better. I mean, I don't think last night was exactly like that because there were some real good signs, but, uh, you know, they weren't. It wasn't like the Flyers dominated the, the Bruins by the, the how you would think looking at the final score. So uh, I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, I was impressed with how they played against the Kraken. I know it was an expansion team, but they have been in every other game they've played, either a one-goal game or one goal with an empty netter, and, and, and the Flyers actually blew them out. So uh, that was impressive. Um, when you look deeper inside of, of how they're getting to, to the results, I think that's where you're more optimistic because you're seeing a, a lot of real good contributions from some of the newcomers, and you're seeing signs that some of the players who uh, took a step back last year are, are perhaps ready to, to get back to where they were and then some this year, like Travis Konechny. So um, I, I think there are some real good signs, and you, know, you get five out of six points in your first three games, you can't complain too much. No. That's good. No, that's a good start. Look, they revamped the roster, uh, and part one of them is a guy like Cam Atkinson that they acquired in that deal with Columbus, uh, who had a couple of goals against the Bruins. So, how have you felt about how you have to have the ability to assimilate everybody? Are you seeing any early cohesion, or is this something that's a better question a month from now? 
Well, it will be a better question in a month for sure, but with what we have for evidence right now, genuinely a small sample size, obviously, but I really like what I've seen from, from certain aspects of, of the newcomers uh, meshing in. The, the two most notable are uh, Atkinson and Broussard, who actually aren't newcomers to each other. They played in the same line in Columbus back right. when uh, Atkinson's career was just starting. But then you throw Farabee on that line, and that has just been a tremendous line. They really have looked good. They've, they've spent most of the time in the offensive zone. They've produced. Um, and, you know, this is a line that's only together because Kevin Hayes is injured. So uh, it, it's really been, I think, their best line so far through the first three games. I guess we should we should call it the Fab Line at this point, right? That's so, <laughs> sure, let's have uh, fun with it. Yeah, as long as they're playing well, it's the Fab Line. But uh, so there's there's certainly good signs in, in how Broussard and Atkinson have, have mixed in, and then Ryan Ellis and, and Ivan Provorov have looked really good as a top pair defensively, and I, that was so important that they find a good uh, defense mate for Provorov. Uh, missed Matt Niskanen, of course, last year, and uh, they went out and got Ellis, and he's just everything that Niskanen is, and maybe even a little bit better. I mean, he's just a really good player, so uh, that that part has meshed really well, too, and yeah, you can't complain with Martin Jones for his performance, either. He had to make a lot of saves last night, right. and he got, got his team to victory and made some, some big stops, so, so yeah, you're seeing signs of uh, the newcomers fitting in. There's still other areas where it has to get better, and uh, you know that's what they're going to work on. Here's uh, they work through this early season schedule, which is one of a lot of breaks, a lot of days off, which uh, they better enjoy now because it's going to get hectic. Yeah, it's going to get hectic. Um, uh, but you take somebody like, for example, the left winger Joel Farabee, third year with the club, Sean Couturier. I mean, you're talking about guys that have been mainstays for them. What are you seeing from those two guys early on? Because Farabee had a big play last night where he fed uh, Atkinson for a goal. Yeah, Farabee's, uh, I mean, he's had multiple point games in each of the first three games. If he does it um, Saturday night, he'll be only the second flyer ever to do that. So he's uh, off to a great start production-wise. But really, when you look at Joel, you're looking at a guy who had taken a big step last year, one of the few flyers who did that, and seems to, and it's very early again in small sample size, but seems to be taking yeah. another step. And they, they rewarded him with a long-term contract in the offseason, which you don't usually see for a 20-year-old. You're starting to see more of them now in the NHL, but uh, usually it was uh, you know let him play out their entry level and then give him a bridge deal a couple of years and get him to free agency and see what happens. But they went ahead and signed him to a long-term deal. They're confident that he wasn't going to get a, you know full of himself off of his good performance last year when he led the team in goals. And and I think they were right. He, he really looks like he's poised for a big year. Uh, so all, all thumbs up on Joel. And, and Couturier, you know, he, he had to play last night almost every shift against the perfection line from Boston, the Bergeron and the Marchand and Pasternak line. Uh, so you had to think, okay, if he can at least control them or at least slow them down, they had a chance to win. And that line did not score a goal when they were out against the Couturier line. They did score once uh, against the fourth line and second defense pair after an icing call. But when Couturier's line was out there, uh, they were able to, to kind of slow down one of the top lines, if not the top line in hockey. So he did his job, even though you know the production from, from Coots is, is uh, something that you take almost as a bonus. He's that good defensively. So uh, I think you, you know what you're going to get from Couturier. Both of those guys, Farabee and Couturier, got rewarded with long-term contracts in the offseason. And so far, they're certainly living up to them. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, you mentioned Seattle earlier, and they beat Seattle six to one. Uh, the the NHL's big now, thirty two teams. Uh, 
but they're at all corners of the map in North America. How have you felt about the growth of the NHL, and what has it done, do you think, for the growth of hockey in this country? Uh, it's definitely coming, and I do think that the fact that the it's back on ESPN and TNT's jumped in is is going to actually help grow the game too. This is not a shot at NBC who I, I work for. Uh, it, it's just that it's different network. It's it's two networks instead of one. It's ESPN, which of course, you know, they're the self-proclaimed worldwide leader and all that. Right. Uh, yeah. So I mean, the bottom line is I, I think that that won't hurt either, but. If, if I just go back to, um, geez, maybe 20 years ago when I was first, I'm 20, I've been down here in 28 years, hard to believe, but, but we, even <laughs> when, from when I first came down to Philadelphia, which was in the early 90s, um, you think about how far the game has, has come in places uh, that weren't hockey markets at all back then, then were kind of struggling infant markets, and now you can go and you really look grassroots, the youth hockey is growing in, in um, you know in Arizona. It's growing in California. Where we're now seeing players make it to the NHL from California, and good ones. Uh, Cam York or the Flyers uh, at some point will be one of those. So yeah, you know Florida. It's just there's no doubt it's growing. One of the reasons why the NHL and hockey never uh, has gotten the national ratings is because they weren't really a presence in those southern markets and in markets to the west and markets where they didn't have teams. That takes a long time to grow that grassroots support, and it's happening now. It is happening. I don't think that you're necessarily going to see the NHL top the NBA in, in national ratings because of the you know, basketball is everywhere, but in the markets where you have an NBA team and an NHL team, it's, it's pretty competitive. In some markets, the NHL team wins, so uh, the NHL has come a long way, and uh, Gary Bettman deserves a lot of credit for that. I mean, he's done some things that uh, I wasn't necessarily in favor of using work stoppages, uh, that uh, he had to get things the way he wanted them, and uh, he did. But from a marketing standpoint and involving the corporate world and uh, growing the game, uh, there's no doubt Bettman's done a great job. What does it mean having full houses again? Well, I mean, the two games at home um, that I did, and I was not at the game last night, that was a TNT game, but Right. Um, it, it, it was remarkable. The, I mean, sure, last year they did allow some fans in the second half of the year, and that was good. It certainly that was better than nothing, but it, it still wasn't very loud, and it, it wasn't it wasn't really rocking. These these uh, games this year, totally different vibe, um, especially in the game against Seattle when the <laughs> the scraps started taking place. And, and I, I got a nice, uh, a very long, well written email sent to me from a fan who detests the fighting and doesn't like when I pump it up and thinks that it's the meaning to the game and all that. But, I mean, we're in the business of entertainment. Uh, you just have to look at MMA. You have to just look at WFC. I mean, look at all these things that are where there's more fighting than in hockey, yeah, and they're still right. popular. I mean, I don't want to get into the fighting, anti-fighting argument, but the bottom line is that place, when when Nick Sealer got up and was roaring and when Nate Thompson went after Bastion, who had gone after Giroux, the, the place was electric. I mean, as much as when they score goals. So um, it was fun to, to feel that again because it seems like it's been more than just a couple of years. It felt like about five years since we've had that kind of electricity. It it, uh, it was great. Gary Bettman certainly has been able to forge a much better working relationship with the players. How he handled the pandemic, 
an extension on the on the uh, collective bargaining agreement, and one of the concessions was to play in the Olympics, which this time would be in Beijing. That means that the last weekend of the season is right around, I don't know, April 28, 29. I mean, how do you feel about the length of the season in terms of you know the fact that it's going to extend that long? Well, I mean, I, I think the league discovered last year because uh, you know they played a 56-game schedule starting in, in mid-January that we had to go all the way through April that it wasn't all that bad. It, it wasn't horrible that it ended a little bit later because in, in past years when we went to the Olympics, they they took the time off, but they kind of still jumped, jammed the schedule into the same time frame, and it led for a hellacious schedule of uh, you know four games and five nights and all kinds of stuff that led to injuries and so forth. I think this time they said, okay, we're, we're going to the Olympics, and we're going to condense the schedule a little bit, but... We're not going to to go overboard here. We're just going to extend the season out a little. And if it ends in, you know, late June, early July, as opposed to to mid-June, then so be it. Because they ended in, what, first week, I believe, of July last year. And uh, it might have even snuck into the second week of July last year. And and, uh, I didn't think, you know, I don't think anybody was really complaining. It wasn't as bad as they thought it would be. So, um I mean, I do think they want to have as close to a full off season one of these days because players recover that way and and such. But uh, I like the way they've done this. I do think the Olympics, uh, you know the players want to play. Um, I'm not sure because of the timing and all that how much it's going to grow the game uh, in terms of just people watching the games in the Olympics this year because they're in China. But uh, but it it is uh, a spectacle, and I think it's good that the NHL does get back to the Olympics. Jim, an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for your time today, and especially so early in the season. Can't wait to talk to you again. Anytime. Love talking Flyers. You know that. Jim Jackson joining us. And uh, Flyers off to a good start in this young season. Brian Tripp, final half hour. We'll discuss Penn State hockey and some Penn State football with him. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, Routes 11 and 15, Almost Wharf Online at sunburymotors.com, on News Radio 1070 WKOK. What's going on with the 76ers, Ben Simmons, stuff like that? All that is because of a lack of accountability, a lack of owning up to mistakes, and a lack of correcting things. If all that got corrected, if you're fixing free throws, if you're getting better as a player, none of this is happening. Just play better, man. The city will love you. It's what we've tried to tell the suit for years. <laughs> <laughs> It's just announced better. They'll love you. No? From one Philadelphia athlete who gets this city <laughs> to one who's a complete dope. S-U-I-T. That spells suit. I hit the wrong button. That was not intended for that. <laughs> what, what, what are you doing? You sure about that? I mean, get yourself together. Get the lingerie on the deck. Call the janitor. Get yourself together. <laughs> you, sir, are my hero. That's what I wanted. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. All right, a little late now. <laughs> All right, goodness. Just as bad as Ben Simmons collecting money. Uh, he's never playing there again. It's just, it is amazing. You can't get in his head. I, I, so I don't quite know what he's thinking, why he's thinking it. I don't know. 
My biggest complaint about him is I felt that from 30,000 feet, you watch him season to season, what's his biggest weakness? His biggest weakness is his ability to shoot. Um, and you just feel like year to year, you don't feel like he's working on it in the offseason from 30,000 feet. He may be. Maybe he's just not that good at it. I don't know. But I sit there and go, what the heck? And, you know, what happened in the playoffs last year? I mean, the one thing you do want to be very careful about in analyzing this story, we've we've had far more meaningful and, and, and important discussions on, you know, with Lane Johnson, Simone Biles, Michael Phelps, on an athlete's mental health. So I can't, you know, what he's doing doesn't make any sense, but is there a reason for this? I'm trying to be sensitive here. Now, if you want, we can do this like Matt wants me to do and do it like a talk show and take sensitivity and flush it. (laughs) (laughs) No, you, you do raise an interesting question. But I just feel like in this case, because this has become such a polarized story at this point, that I got to think if he was really dealing with something mentally, like a, like how Lane Johnson just came back from his ordeal, it probably would have been out by now. But that's just I, me. Just, I, I could be uh, wrong. It's a very interesting question. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just bringing it up, okay, so that it's e- e- right now he's very easy to criticize, very easy to criticize. I'm only bringing up for the sake of discussion, is there more to it here and do we need to be sensitive about it? I do know that his coach isn't enamored with him, and if you can't play for Doc Rivers, who can you play for? Right? I know that Joel Embiid, who plays as hard as anybody out there, has had enough of him. So you got people that have had enough of him that are around him all the time. I'll lean more in that direction than anything else because, you know, I mean, no offense, but Doc Rivers, I don't know him, seems like a guy you can trust. Embiid, I think, has earned the trust of Philadelphia fans. He plays hard all the time. You know, the second he misses a shot, they'll turn on him, but that's Philadelphia. So. Santa Claus. Bad story. Yes, bad story. It's a bad story. I mean, booed Santa Claus. Yeah, but Santa Claus didn't quit on his team in Game 7 and then act like a spoiled brat afterwards. Yeah, I know, but like Santa Claus delivers gifts and they still get booed. I mean, like he, like Santa Claus does really positive things. Still a bad story. Yeah, I know it's a bad story. It's a bad story because Philadelphia fans did it. They booed Santa Claus. It's not good, man. It's not good. Oh, it's a misperception. The guy's walking down and they're booing him. <laughs> what, what, what am I missing here? Uh, Simmons, I just don't I, don't. I don't get what we're. I don't get what we're watching here, at all. 
I haven't seen anybody making that much money that was so mad all the time since our last sales meeting with the suit. <laughs> why, why can't everybody be like Mertzi? That is also a good question. I mean, really? She knows how to do it. Exactly. With style. All right. Brian Tripp, final half hour. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, routes 11 and 15, Almost Wharf, online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Kia, Hyundai. Best of new inventory. Eh, maybe the budget says pre owned inventory. It need to go to a place you trust with the Sunbury Motors guarantee, obviously. The place to go. Sales staff that works with you. That's how you get so much repeat business because you have salespeople who care. I mean, it's, you know, yeah, do they want to make the sale? Yeah, sure. But they want to do it in such a way where the customer feels like they're really important. And they do that at Sunbury Motors. And the service department that backs it all up from difficult to routine. It's all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Kia, routes 11 to 15, Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. And with that, we bring in uh, Penn State Hockey tonight, Niagara, and then tomorrow, Niagara, and then Brian's got football coming up with uh, Jack and myself on Saturday. Great to have you with us, Brian. Some thoughts on this whole thing. All right, so hockey tonight, tomorrow, um, Mm -hmm. uh, back home. Uh, So... You know, what's been the, the state of play so far, in your opinion? Yeah, I think they're happy with where they're at, 3-1 and one through the first four games. And now, after playing four games in seven days to open the season, 11 days between games, so you have all that information and kind of digest what you learned about a team that, as we talked about last time, I think, had so many different faces and newcomers. You're trying to put puzzle pieces together uh, with a full off season this year. So I think they're happy with where they're at. Obviously, a lot to improve on, as any coach would say this time of year. Uh, the one thing, again, just was finding that offensive identity. Struggled in game one, got a better performance in game two. But the freshmen have really played well, Steve, especially starting with Danny Geneev, who's their leading scorer so far. Ryan Kerwin's been good, Simon Mack on the back end. You really could go top to bottom through all five freshmen they have. And that's really encouraging to see. And now you just want to keep building on what you established so far, tweaking, building, and improving as you go into the series. All right. So now, okay. So now you get to um, uh, the power play unit. A uh, guy had told me on the coach's show that he still intended to open the season with three power play units. And then we'll see how it played out from there. So how's that played out? Yeah, they've used three so far. And again, they're still trying to find the right fit and the right mix. And it, what's hurt them is. Ben Copeland, because of an NCAA eligibility issue, missed the first series. Clayton Phillips missed the last series with Canisius because of an injury. So those are two guys who will factor onto the power play that you haven't had in your lineup for the for a chunk of the first four games. So I think they're still trying to find the right fit. But the power plays look good. They've generated a lot of shots, have a power play goal in each of their three wins. And I think you're seeing 
the defense from the blue line. And for the most part, they've gone 1D. There's a couple of units that have 2D. But they, Danny Geniev, who I mentioned before as a freshman, has got such a quick trigger. And just think of him the same way that Dennis Smirnoff was employed as mm-hmm. that shot that's going to move up and down the wing, just kicking up and down that left wing and look for a spot to hunt and shoot. And that's how they've employed him so far. And they use Christian Sarlo with the unit he's with as a body in front of the net. So I think they have a lot of really good pieces and the way their defense can shoot and move the puck. It's not about necessarily having the hardest slap shot, right? It's your vision, your instincts, quick puck movement uh, with Clayton Phillips, Simon Mack, Paul Naples. They have a couple of key pieces that can work really well there. Yeah, which helps. I mean, what has Naples' leadership meant to this point? Yeah, it's been really good. Um, I think especially considering how many guys are going through this for the time, right? It's not just the freshmen, it's the sophomores as well, who didn't have that opportunity to play in Pagula last year, didn't have them off season. And I think with it being, as I think you've talked about with Guy, and I think you and I have talked about too, there's somewhat of a passing of the torch from now you're two years removed from that Big Ten championship team. A lot of the key pieces to that team uh, have moved on, Alex Limoges and Arna Talvidia, moving on after last season. There's a sense of freshness about it, and I think Paul's leadership's been excellent. Uh, one of the focuses throughout the off season was establishing a better culture and reestablishing that culture that's made them so successful here in the first decade of Penn State hockey and did Naples and his leadership on and off the ice. Because when you're doing that, look, most of that, comes away from the rink when the coaches aren't there establishing that culture and forming a synergy and a bond amongst your teammates. I think that's where a leader like the Naples really comes in. Uh, nobody knows uh, among broadcasters the effect of fans than you do because you're the guy that's on the field for us for football. Uh, so you're down there feeling it all the time on, on the mm-hmm. field re- regardless of where we are. What's it been like in the rink? Yeah, it's been really good so far. And talking to some of the players, they've fed off of it too. Um, it was just it was a bizarre year last year but to have the fans back there, it adds a little jump to your step out there on the ice the players have said that and there's a buzz again in the building not only can it lift you up when you're down when things are going your way I think throughout the years the thing I've noticed it impacts the most at Pagula is the snowball effect right if you get one yeah. here comes two here comes three all of a sudden the momentum's behind you the goalie with his back to that roar zone and thousand students pounding on the glass, just the impact it can make and, and tilt the game. Um, I know some people discuss momentum and say it's not really a real thing in sports. Well, it certainly is a real thing in hockey. It, I think it is in all sports. And in that building with the fans, that's where that momentum comes into play. And maybe it's just perception, but they awfully look like they're skating faster when the fans are there going crazy. All right. Um, so how do you view the, these two matchups here? Yeah, Niagara, just like Penn State, hasn't played in yeah. a week and a half, two weeks. They opened with North Dakota, and uh, that's a, a challenging opening two games on the road, uh, taking on North Dakota, who Penn State will play next, coincidentally, right. in Nashville next weekend. Um, team with a veteran head coach who's well-respected, did not have a lot of success last year, but like a lot of teams across the country, have a lot of transfers. So I think you're trying to still get a read on what they are. It's hard to get a read on where they are this year. Um, but because 
of their goaltending, they're going to have an opportunity to stay in games. The goalie from last year that's returning, Chad Veltri, posted some pretty good numbers, and then they brought in the NAHL goaltender of the year from a year ago, Jake Seibel. So anytime you can get solid goaltending, I think you have a chance to stay in some games. But I think it's still really young in the season to tell where they're going to be, but Niagara traditionally has played Penn State really competitively, uh, including last time they were here at Pagula two years ago. Uh, 3-2 game and a 2 nothing game. So they've played Penn State competitively, even though they haven't beaten Penn State. All right, so now let's get the thoughts on this weekend once we get to the football side of it. What, what's your thoughts going in on this weekend? Yeah, I think obviously it starts with the, the quarterback position, as everyone's talked about all week long and for two weeks now. What that's going to look like when Penn State takes the field on Saturday. I think once you remove yourself from that discussion, looking forward to seeing how they, they bounce back. We've talked all year long about the leadership on the football teams, uh, the energy and kind of that environment down on the sideline and the way the guys rally for one another, no matter what that circumstance is. Well, they faced adversity in some individual games, but now they're facing adversity, uh, you know, a little bit more big picture from a season. So I want to see how they respond, bounce back, how they use that bye week. That was a physical, physical football game at Iowa. Get a little bit healthier and get back out there on the field because all their goals are still in front of them this season. So I think that's the biggest thing. How, how do you come out of that bye week? Hopefully a lot healthier than you went into mm-hmm. that bye week. Um, and then just seeing how they respond to some adversity after a loss for the first time this year. All right, Brian, big, busy. Uh, tonight, uh, hockey. Tomorrow, hockey. Saturday, football. So there you go. Can't wait. Sounds great. It wasn't the same without you last week. <laughs> <laughs> same here, my friend. <laughs> All right, take care, Steve. Brian Tripp, hockey tonight, Niagara 7. They drop the puck tomorrow at 7 as well with Niagara, so that's what they have in football on Saturday at noon. We're on beginning at 10.30. We will come back with more in a moment. Wrap it up here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC Way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC Way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC Way. The SMC Way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. We approach the eight-minute mark. Drummond, the screen, and Korkmaz has another heat check for Furcon. Three triples this quarter. Kate Scott, first regular season game with the Sixers. In fact, she's been a part of more Sixer games this season than Ben Simmons. Oh, You're just happy that I said that before you did. Yes, you I am, even, actually. You, did, you didn't even think of it. <laughs> I mean, and you show you show up to work better. Uh, depending on the day. 
Oh. Really? <laughs> oh. So Milton's building a new stadium. Um, I guess the suit felt honored till he, he found out it was called uh, Soup Memorial Stadium. It's like, uh, what is why memorial? S-U-I-T, that spells suit I, I, Soup Memorial Stadium. I mean, it's just not good. So, I don't know. I'm not answering it, don't worry. It's actually somebody I do know, as a matter of fact. And, by the way, somebody else that also asks every single time, like, what's the deal with that suit guy? All right, so don't worry about it. So, yeah, so Milton's building a new place. That's nice. I think it's great they're building a new place. Yes, and, in fact, it might even, depending on the timing... And depending how far Milton can go in the district playoffs, they might get an outside chance of hosting a playoff a playoff game this year. But if not, it's fully ready for next year. Okay. Well, if they host, where'd they play? It's been a combination of different schools, as we talked about with Greg. So I guess it'll depend on scheduling. It'll either be Danville, Bloomsburg, Williamsport. Okay. I think they had the okay. game at Central one time too this year. So. Okay. All right. Well, hey, I'm happy for them. It's it's great. That's great. They're going to uh, they're going to do that. Boy, how about you play Friday night? Then you got to play Monday. Now you got enough gap between Monday and Friday to play, but jeez, that's a lot for Lewisburg in a short period of time. Three games, eight days? Yeah, that's going to be a big, big challenge. And they're still in the thick of it for the playoffs, too. Yeah, no, I know they are. Of course they are. They've they've, they've been able to cobble together a record. I mean, it's the teams that, to me, that are under 500, that i got a real problem with. Uh, Well, the point system. Please, don't tell me about the point system. It's ridiculous, all right? Like, win games. Um, Bob Bowlesby this week questioned the reasoning of Texas and Oklahoma departing the Big 12 for the SEC, calling the decision silly. Okay. $40 million a year, $70 million a year, $70 million a year, $40 million a year. Okay. Uh, suggested the two powerhouses leaving the league will create competitive issues in the SEC. He is correct about that, though. It does create competitive issues in the SEC. It is correct. Okay? Um, as I've said now a hundred times in the show, oh, my God, they're going to get – no. The SEC is not going to get six playoff spots, seven playoff spots, including the champion, in the college football playoff. Again, if there are eight conference games being played on a given day, you have, oh, my goodness, eight losers. Okay. I mean, people seem to forget that. They just think that everybody wins every weekend. No. 
Bowlesby uh, was told a discussion about Texas and Oklahoma actually becoming more successful in the SEC hasn't been mentioned since the programs were accepted into the conference. Maybe it's a story that needs to be written, Bowlesby said. I mean, I've tried to talk about it. The Big 12 certainly doesn't have the same lineup of football powers as the SEC. In fact, they don't have a lineup of any football powers. Oklahoma's dominated the Big 12 to the point where the Sooners have been the only team from the league to reach the college football playoff in its existence, making the 14 field uh, for the last seven seasons. Big 12, true round robin, that's because they don't have 12 teams. Bowls were revealed in the early years of the college football playoffs. The other Power Four leagues kicked in an extra $1 million to the SEC because of their historical value that they brought. The payment has since been phased out. That's absurd. Texas earns north of $50 million in the current Big 12 media revenue deal. Because, again, it, um, Texas gets more money than everybody else in the Big 12. The other schools don't get 50 because their media deal includes $15 million from the Longhorn Network, which, by the way, probably goes bye-bye with the SEC. Bowlesby also pushed back assertions that ESPN's decision not to renegotiate the Big 12's current media rights contract led to the decision by Texas and Oklahoma. That story was broken by the Lubbock Avalanche Journal, which the suit reads every morning. Uh, Bowles, Bowlesby told CBS Sports at the time that such requests are made frequently, and it wasn't necessarily a concern that ESPN rejected the conference's overtures to renegotiate the deal. That's what's so silly, Bowlesby said. It's their prerogative to say that they think it's too early to start negotiating. They didn't say they didn't want to be our partner. They didn't say our value was going down. They didn't say anything derogatory at all. Six days after the news initially broke on July 21st, Texas and Oklahoma were planning to leave the Big 12. The program said they would not extend their grant of rights beyond 2025 when the current contract expires with ESPN and Fox. Grant of rights deals allow conferences to control their television revenue for their members. If a team or teams leave before the contract is up, the league maintains those rights. That's part of the reasons Texas and Oklahoma have pledged to stay in the Big 12 for the remaining four years of the TV deal. Bowlesby reiterated that his conference intends to hold the programs to that contract. Asked about rumors, he demanded Big 12 schools extend their grant of rights agreements beyond 2025. Bowlesby said no. He said no. He didn't use that word. He used a word that started with B. But it was essentially no. Bowlesby understands why the Big 12 wasn't invited uh, to the three-team alliance. Um, um, for the moment, the three leagues plan to play non-conference games because I think this alliance thing, I'm sorry, I'm, I just think it's not the right way to go. Uh, Big Ten doesn't need it. Uh, I understand why they didn't want us to be a part of it. They're concerned about antitrust considerations circling around the SEC. The other reason is we're losing members and we weren't in a position to make a commitment. Big Ten, Pac-12, at least are considering playing one fewer conference game, dropping from nine to eight to improve their schedule strengths with more high-profile non-conference games. Conference content is always going to be better than non-conference content, Bowlesby said. That's true. That's a decision we're going to have to make with a new 12-team Big 12. But the Pac-12 going to eight is crazy. They're not going to get non-conference games that are as good as their league games. See, I, 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 you know how I feel about the Alliance. I don't think the Alliance is the right way to go. I, 
I think the alliance, I think the Pac-12 needs the alliance. I think the ACC needs the alliance. The Big Ten doesn't need it. They don't need it. I don't get it. Do not get it. Um, you know, the Big Ten's out there competing toe-to-toe with the SEC. They don't need to form an alliance with somebody else to do that. So I'm not crazy about it. I mean, they can do whatever they want. It's their conference. And believe me, if they're playing an ACC team, I'll announce the game. They play a Pac-12 team, I'm announcing the game. Okay, I got it. But, you know, we all can have an opinion about it, and I'm just not crazy about the fact they did it. I just don't think the Big Ten needs it. I just don't. I think the Pac-12 needs it. I think the Pac-12 really needs it, badly. Big Ten, not so much. Big Ten's doing fine with its media rights. They're the next one up with a contract. Now, do I think the Big Ten is going to get a monster deal next time? I think Big Ten's going to get a really good deal that increases the payout to everybody. But I don't know if it's going to be a gigantic increase based on the current landscape. But it'll definitely be an increase. All right, James Franklin next, coming up at 6.05 to 7 from the field at Toff Trees. As Penn State gets ready for its homecoming game at Beaver Stadium against Illinois on Saturday at noon on beginning at 10.30. Today's show has been... Brought to you by our good friends at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Here on News Radio 1070 WKOK.